and I think it encapsulates uh, what was there at the beginning through Michael and to today. Um, and this, this is what I think we're doing right now. We are a community that is being changed by, by the gospel. And so the reason why that is important, that we are a current community that's being changed by the gospel, is that the gospel is for the non-Christian and the Christian at all times. It, it's the entry point and the sustaining point for a community that embodies these transcendent spiritual realities. Now, for me, I don't know if you guys are like this, but when I hear stuff like this, you know, love God, love neighbor, love Lincoln, whatever, you know, all these vision statements that churches throw out, I'm just like, I don't really know what that practically means. Like, I don't know how that plays itself out in the particularities of a given community. And so um, part part of me telling you a little bit about, like, my own story, my own doubt, is that on this sheet here, and you'll and you want one of these sheets if you don't have one. Um, this is what I think our guiding principles should be. Uh, the guiding values of our particular community in this particular time uh, are, they all start with R. R, R. Okay, they're four. Redemption, resurrection, reconciliation, and rest. Our past stories reveal Christ. Christ gives us a future that's secure. Christ shows us how to be reconciled with God. This is a great symbol for Christ, by the way. Christ 
shows us how to be reconciled with God, and therefore we extend that reconciliation, justice, and mercy to one another, and Christ is our rest in the midst of anxiety. Um, these two things, I think, is what our community needs most of all currently. Um, these are the two things that our community has embodied, will embody in the future best. And so when I say redemption, I'm thinking that I want us to be a story-driven community, primarily starting with the story of Scripture, which reveals Christ, but also embody, we embody the story of Scripture in our current moment. Um, I think that one of, one of the most profound things that I have learned about Redeemer is, uh, is a, like learning those early years when Indra was a part of our life group, Jim was a part of this life group too, a few years ago. Indra was telling us, the, you know, the story of Redeemer in those early years was that we wanted to be a, a church that a non-Christian could come into and, and feel welcome and feel engaged uh, with Jesus Christ. And uh, after many, many things that have happened in the life of our community since then, um, I think that there has been some uh, very, very intense redemption in the life of our church. And, and I think that in some ways, and I don't want to always be focusing on you, Indra, but like, your, your story sort of embodies what we want to be as a church. Um, and I think that we need to put a, put a spotlight on that to the degree that you're, com- <laughs> to the degree that you're comfortable. Um, and I think that that's what God does. He, he uh, wants us to hone in on the ways in which he has, he's not only fixed, but he's redeemed hardship. That's what he's about all the time. That's what the cross means. Um, I think where I come in is, is that the, when I hear the, the word gospel, um, my immediate thought is I, I will be raised from the dead. That's what I think of when I hear, when I hear gospel, I think death is not the end, uh, that my body will, will rise from the dead and anybody that knows Jesus will rise from the dead. Now, uh, I want that to be a part of our story going forward. Because it has been a part of our story. It's, what's, it's literally what has sustained me over the past four years. Um, the hope of the resurrection to know that uh, our, our future is secure. And, and not only that, the whole cosmos will be regenerated. That's how Jesus talks about it. The, he calls it the palagenesia. At the renewal of all things, um, he, he tells his disciples, you're going to get way more than you could ever have dreamed of. Um, that's our hope. And so in the midst of the darkest things, we can, have, we can hold on to that. We can grieve, but we can have hope in the midst of that grief. Now, if those two things are true, what that means for our present reality is that we can move towards one another, no matter how sinful we are, um, because God moves towards us in our sin. And we want to be a community that can uh, not just cohabit with one another that you know we 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 can't do we're not just like housing people that that are like different but we actually have legit community with those who are culturally different from us um who are ethnically different from us and that's going to push us into asking questions that the gospel wants us to ask 
um, to always be questioning, is, is this a cultural preference or is this a gospel expression um, within, within our community? I think that uh, the reconciliation piece first happens in-house. We have to learn how to reconcile with one another within the body of Christ, and then we extend that reconciliation to the world. And finally, rest. Um, I I would say that this is probably the the weakest area, uh, if we want to talk about our spiritual atrophy within our culture, our particular culture, I think it's that we don't, we don't know how to rest. Um, and I, I think that that's very, very important for our community to hear that we, we have to learn how to not be uh, addicted to busyness, addicted to profit, addicted to uh, just, or just afraid of, of being still, of Shabbat. You know, that's what the word Sabbath means. It means to just stop, cease. Um, and that's, I, I want us to be, and, I, and I've tried to embody that within our community, even in moments of the liturgy, where we're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit in silence. Um, because I want us to, to realize that there's a spiritual realm. I want us to realize that, like, on your, on your deathbed, I know it always goes back to death for me, um, but on your deathbed, is this still true? You know, the things that we sort of instinctively do at, at worship or in church, is it, is it actually true? Um, so this is uh, how some of these things work themselves out. Well, let, let me ask you this. Is that, what, do you have any questions about that? Is that clear? And do you think that that in some ways encapsulates and embodies our particular community right now? We are a community that's being changed by the gospel, how that plays itself out in our guiding principles, redemption, resurrection, reconciliation, and rest. I'd say it's an ongoing process. I mean, you never have totally arrived. That's right. But it's, it should be our core goal, our core principle. Yeah. Or mission statement. Yep. So, one of the things that I learned in RUF, um, and one of the things that I'll always take with me, is that we have fixed theology, our theology doesn't change, and flexible methodology. This is a blend of those two things, but they can adapt and change and contextualize to its, to its own culture in terms of method, how we reach each other with the gospel. But our theology doesn't change. And this, this is part, if we want to get into the particularities of why I am Presbyterian or Reformed, uh, I think re- the Reformed faith gives us the best avenue through which to engage people who are in deep sin with the gospel because I myself was reached when I was in deep sin and I did not add anything to, to my salvation. And therefore, um, whatever sin you struggle with, um, God can break through to get to you because he got through to me. And therefore, I'm not going to be afraid of engaging culture at any level. But that must be adapted in a way that is comprehensible to those who aren't necessarily familiar with how church things operate and how church things work and the language that we use. And so constant contextualization 
does not mean that I'm that we're going to change our theology. No, you know, no compromise. That's yeah. Right. So, um, here's here are some of the things that we are practically doing, and so you know, in the aftermath of uh, some of the um, congregational meetings, the session staff, we've done a lot of work. Um, on thinking through these issues and putting things into practice. And I do, I do want to state out in the public open the things that we have done, okay, as, as leaders, um, as we embody these spiritual, transcendent, eternal realities. We have relaunched life groups this fall, and I'm pretty sure almost every elder is leading a life group. Um, we have implemented a more robust and structured mentorship through one-on-one relationships and focus groups. Um, we have included women into leadership and especially women speaking into my life for pastoral uh, care and, and counsel and vision. Um, we're, we're th- this is what this class is primarily about. We want to rotate new elders and deacons into the leadership of the church. Um, partially because some of the elders have resigned, some of the deacons have resigned, but but this is healthy for the life of the future of the church to get new leadership in positions that, that can affect the culture of the place um, in, in good ways. And we'll talk about what that means here in a second. Um, we're, we're trying to step towards internal health and growth for the purpose of reaching out into the community. Um, the, ch- the church is the only entity that exists primarily for the sake of its non-members. Who said that? Anybody know? Keller's mentor. What's, what's his name? Sonship guy. Jack Miller. Jack Miller, yes. Um, which is a, rem- a, remarkable, a remarkable thing if you think about it. That has to guide us as we think about the future. That does not mean that we as uh, leaders within the church are not going to use our resources and funds to get more internally healthy for the sake of reaching out. And so some of those things that we're looking at doing to get more internally healthy and robust are two morning services. Uh, we're sell, sale of the property at 745 D Street, which, which we did. We attempted an evening service. We're also thinking about making new hires currently. Now, there is no necessary time, necessarily a timeline for these new hires, but we do, we do want to think about um, the things that we've heard need to get better at communication. Uh, we're, we're thinking about filling the gap of fourth and fifth grade uh, within our church because there's nothing for that demographic within our church right now. And then hiring a children's coordinating uh, ministry assistant, basically, that would help Adam with the details and help with the functioning of stuff like Sunday school or children's church. We're, we're feeling the need of kind of growing internally in that way, but there is no uh, significant or like hard date timeline on when we would make that hires, but we're in conversation with people about that, okay? Um, some of the metrics we would be using to assess when we would go to two morning services uh, would, would include, but aren't limited to, a, a sustained six-month period where in-person worship exceeds 180 people. So prior to COVID, I, I was not a believer in the 80% rule. You know what the 80% rule is? If, if a new person comes into a building that's 80% full, they will typically leave because it's too full and they don't have space to sit down in their minds. 
Um, I did not buy into that before COVID. I'm a full believer post in the post-COVID world that that's in effect. And so I think our space can actually hold a ton of people, way more than you think it can hold. Uh, but I think at about 180, um, it's, it feels full to the normal person. We had one Christmas where we had about 380. And I just want you to think about that in our, <laughs> in our church. We had 380 people. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the other um, thing we, we need to be thinking about in terms of metrics for going to two services is the capacity for the staff to execute both services well, which primarily falls to, in, in some ways, the, the staffing surrounding the services like nursery, uh, musicians, and uh, I, I feel like Adam and I are at a place where we, we could do that, but it, it's more than just about, you know, preaching two sermons. Um, and then finances. We, we have a lot of money in the bank for, from 745 D Street, but uh, talking with Wayne, and this is how I think too, we want to staff appropriately to what we're bringing in currently within our congregation. And so I'm thinking primarily of that money. I'm, we're not scared to spend that, but we want to staff appropriate to what's coming in from tithes and offerings. Does that make sense? And so um, we want to make these hires, but our preference would be that our, our budget would grow so that we can make those hires without tapping into our savings for the purpose of using that savings for outreach, ultimately, whether that's missions or church planting. And I do think we'll, I do think we'll grow, and we have grown uh, financially in the past four years each year. So um, the other things we're doing is we're praying for the Spirit's work in our community at Redeemer in the city of Lincoln. We have various Bible studies and social options for community connection and growth. And, uh, and another question that's been asked is, are we trying to get out of this building? Are we trying to move spaces? We are not currently looking to leave our space, but... We are open uh, in God's providence if he provides something that we need to take a look at. Like, we're not, we're not shutting our eyes to that. So um, those are some of the things that we've implemented. Um, and still, what I want to put before us is that we are a church-planting church. Um, and we will always be a church-planting church unless somebody with a completely different vision comes in here and says, not anymore. Um, and that does not mean that it, it has to necessarily come from and start and, and it's heart from us. But I would see if Grace or Zion wanted to plant a church in Lincoln and we got on board and partnered with them, if we were in line with what we wanted that to look like, um, that is also, uh, I would consider that us being a church planting church. So um, if you turn to this page, this is the... I know it's a very simple image, but this is the image I put before the elders and their wives and the deacons and their spouses uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and I wanted us to think in, the, what, what do we want to do over the next decade as a church? What do we want to do by 2030? And I think it's a, a reasonable goal to try to plant a church, nourish it, uh, pray for it, support it, so that it's healthy enough to plant another church of its own by 2030. Um, that doesn't mean we go into non-existence. We're still trying to do our thing too, but just as a very clear, clarified 10-year plan uh, in terms of outreach and extensive growth, that's, that's how we want to think. Okay. 
That doesn't, again, that does not uh, mean that if, like, Grace comes and says, hey, we want to plant a church in, in North Lincoln, uh, like, if, if we gave a ton of money to that and some people to that, like, that would be part of that plan. Um, or vice versa. If we said that and then Grace gave us, you know, some resources. So we are co- collective with all three PCA churches in town. We are, we are collective in that goal um, and single-minded in that goal of church planting. Any questions about that? A lot. I just hit you with a lot. Could we say we're in year one of that tenure plan? Well, you know, I said uh, we were in year one in 2019, and then there were some things that happened between, you know, then and now. So now when you say we're in year one. (laughs) Yeah, so we're still year one-ish. Yeah. Um, Hey, look, I want to talk to you guys about uh, what people need out of churches. These are good things, okay? Um, I call this the triangle of desires. The church book. Yeah, desires of conflict. I need you to back to Jeff, there's one right here. structure and organization. Uh, I got into this uh, fitness guy named Jeff Cavalier, and he was helping people think about their nutrition plan. And he said, you know, you, you, you can have, uh, if you want to change the way that you eat up, He said, you got to choose two. If you want fast and healthy, it ain't going to be cheap. If you want uh, healthy and slow, then, then it's, you know, it's affordable. If you want fast and cheap, you're in the not healthy realm called fast food. Um, think, think in terms of church, okay? Think in terms of where we are in the life of our church. Um, if you want this, most people can get that at Redeemer right now. If you want this, I mean, we, we have always been a church that has valued good preaching and teaching. I love to preach. That's where almost all of my mental and creative capacity goes is to the pulpit. Um, if you want this, we're weak here. And that's, yeah, that's never the weakest of the three. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. And what I want, what I want everybody to know is that like some of that is intentional. Like the way that the way that Redeemer functions, if you tighten this up too much, we lose what what I would say the culture that we're going for, which is a box that's held together by loose screws. Okay, if you tighten those screws up. 
uh, you lose some of the feel of the culture. And so that does not mean that we're not working towards structure and organization, but we want to work towards structure and organization in a way that suits the culture of Redeemer. Now, what is the culture of Redeemer? You go back to the vision and mission statement. But more so than that, you have to just be involved in the community and feel it, right? Experience it firsthand. Everybody, and I'm talking about everybody that has joined the church since I got here, what do you think they say? Why do you, why do you think they join? It ain't because of this. The community. It ain't because of this. It's because of that. They all say in some, in some form or fashion, they say, I don't know what it is about Redeemer, but I feel the Spirit of God here. I think that has a lot to do with the early years with Indra, with the elders, with Adam and Jen. That these are the gatekeepers of our community. I love that. I don't want to mess it up. I want to come alongside and play some jazz with that. You know? I don't want to Im- implement my own like preferences over that. And part of, part of, for example, part of what that means is like, I really want to be on time. I've always wanted to be on time. In my family growing up, like, if you're on time, you're late, okay? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Catherine Sinkfish, she asked me the question when I, was, when I was, like, interviewing for the job. She's like, how are you going to do when, you know, when Redeemer never, ever starts on time? And I was like, that's going to be hard for me. Um, but I can live with that because I love the culture so much, Right? Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, different, the difference between filling a need and changing a culture. If you're gifted in structure and organizationally savvy, but you enjoy Redeemer, even though it's, that's where the, where the weak is, you're going to have to weigh what your, your particular family needs in this season through what you value most. So think in terms of, you know, cheap, fast, healthy, okay? Community organization preaching. There is no shame on anybody, whether that's our church or your family, if you feel like in this season of your life, you really, really need more structure and organization for the purpose of your own spiritual growth. Like, that, that's okay. Um, and it would, it would make a lot of sense if you, if you came to the leadership and said, this, uh, this is not meeting, meeting us where we're at. We would say, yeah, we, we get it. And like, we don't want you to leave, but we would understand if you had to. Um, this, this doesn't mean that we're going to neglect to hear where we need to improve as a church in terms of structure and, and organizational efficiency. But we're going to do that. We're going to grow inward always for the purpose of Jack Miller, for the sake of our, our non-members. Now, what, where this comes in when you think about deacons and elders that the congregation must choose leaders. How you, who you put in positions of leadership is very important in terms of the culture of a place. Who you put in leadership should function as sort of gatekeepers of the culture, no matter their bent. So the individual is second to the community. The community comes first in the end. So for example, Phil Erdman Super smart, you know, very structured. He and I think very, very differently. He was the youngest senator in the state, right? Um, the, the main phrase he said in session meetings is, well, from a practical standpoint, you know, like, and he could write policies in his sleep. He does, he's not like me. You know, I'm off in some mystical la-la land, you know, thinking about a sermon. And he's like, well, what does this mean on the ground level, you know? Um, 
I'm sure there are things about community that he's just like, oh my gosh, like, please get better at this. But he will not make his preference a dogma because he loves the culture of Redeemer and he loves the gospel. And that doesn't mean that other churches aren't preaching the gospel. But its particular expression here is very attractive to many. And you need to know that. <laughs> I have not yet met a visitor that, that has come and is like, man, this place kind of sucks. Um, and that does happen at churches in other parts of the country. So our tendency, whenever we are placed in positions of leadership, is to think, why doesn't, it, why doesn't everybody see this? Why isn't everybody like me? Um, those are, who are nominated for leadership must become self-aware enough to know their natural bent and to own that. And that, that's okay. So, like, if you're the type of person that feels really comfortable in the world but is a Christian but you're really comfortable in the secular world, you're, you're valuable to the body of Christ by, by, by getting people in the world into the local church. Now, if let's flip it around. Let's say you're, you're a type of person that's like, I like the institutional church. It's kind of where I came up. It's, it's where I feel most comfortable. Like, you're valuable to the internal health and growth of the church and showing people in the world the necessity and need of the local church's presence in their life. But you're not going to, if you're a leader, it's very, very important to not make your own preference the dogma. Does that make sense? Um, a, A leader sees, and here's how it plays itself out, a leader sees the immense value in those who are different than they are. And uh, celebrates those differences. How this manifests itself on the ground level is that you enjoy diversity, humility, there's a lot of laughter, jovialness, you play together, uh, you have a willingness to adapt. Um, when stuck in sort of an either-or mindset, it, it, like it really must be one way, oftentimes you find homogeneity, everybody looks the same. Seriousness, rigidity, constant concern, frustration, fear, and anxiety. So, when you think about leaders and who you elect to be officers, those people must be humble, relational, and biblical. Those are, those are the three aspects of leaders that should shine for deacons and elders. Humble, relational, and biblical. Um, I think that I should probably stop there and receive any questions that you guys may have. Um, in the, the rest of this, this document, you're going to find Keller quotes where he talks specifically about size dynamics within a church, especially when a church is at about a 200-person uh, precipice. So, like, what we all need to understand um, is that we are in one of the hardest phases in the life of any church. And the reason why is because everybody that has been there thinks in their mind that that is still a small church and that everybody should, should know everybody. Y'all, there's been like three babies born in the past week. And like, I, like I'm like, if I don't go see that baby, I'm being a terrible pastor. But that's not true. And I had to really rewrite, <laughs> rewrite what it means to be a pastor. Like, if I tried to overextend, um, I'm not caring for my family. Good job, Matt. 
And, and so, like, what we, what we need to think as we grow, and I do think we'll continue to grow, um, is that we're moving into a mid-sized church. And Keller talks about some of the factors. He's like, when, when people start saying, oh, well, I wasn't told about that, he's like, that's a sure indicator that you've moved from a small church to a mid-sized church. Like, that's a good problem. Um, and, and we need to understand that, like, yeah, not everybody's going to know everybody. And we're going to have to make some organizational structural changes. It's going to kind of like tap into that, you know. Two services, then everybody's not together. You know, like there's some loss there, and that's okay to feel that loss. But there has to be changes in order for growth to, to happen. Um, and so all those Keller quotes kind of talk about that. Um, but let, let's, let me stop there. And this is a great diagram that one of our elders created and it's very, very blurry, so I'm sorry about that. But the, the basic premise is most churches operate in the exact opposite. They see like where they want to go in culture, and they say, all right, we've got to get them, got to get them into the church. Redeemer has always sort of instinctually focused in the other direction, is that we want to mobilize people in the church to be in the world. And whether they ever come through the doors of our church or not, is not, is not ultimately the goal. It would be nice but we are called to be the, the salt and light in the midst of the world. Um, so that plays itself out in many ways. But what questions do you have about all that? There's a lot. One question that we have gotten regularly is, are, are we more a church for the outsider or its congregants? And A, we don't like that question because it pits two things against each other that the Bible doesn't pit against each other. And that's why the mission statement is what it is. We are a community that is currently being changed by the gospel. The gospel is consequential and relevant at all times to both the Christian and non-Christian. And so we're not, we're not an outward-facing church or an inward-facing church. We're both and all the time. And that's how we have to see the Christian life. I got a question. Yes, Jeff. What, when's the rapture? <laughs> oh, you know, you know what, Jeff? That's, well, Jesus, Jesus actually says... Uh, Nobody knows. So, yeah. But I grew up where people were always trying to guess that. Yeah. Scary times. In times. I read a book about Revelation. Did you grow up in about this church? Yeah, you did. I read a book about Revelation with like a friend of mine, and mm -hmm. he used to buy me Mountain Dew and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Revelation can get a little dicey in interpretation. So, but yeah, I don't know. Any any other questions? Yes, Renee. So as we move from a small to medium-sized church, yeah, what thoughts or advice do you have, especially since we're weak on organization or not? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to um, start conversations to bring up. Things. Whereas in a small church, you just 
go directly to who you need to talk to or whatever. Yeah. You write a letter to the elders. You, you know, I mean, just like as we want to continue communicating yeah. and talking about things, but the structure is changing. Yeah. What thoughts do you have about negotiating that new? Well, for, well, first off, like that's a great question, and I think. At our stage now, like if you wrote an email to the elders, like that would definitely be considered. And we would weigh that out, one or two of us, and then bring that before the session if we thought that it warranted sort of a, an agenda item on the, on the session. Um, but one of the things that we hope will happen with the re-implementation of, of life groups is that like you have access to to elders or to me and Adam if there is something super pressing that you feel is dire for the sake of the community. Um, but I will say there does need to be an adjustment of expectations if growth continues to happen. Does that make sense? So you'll you'll notice like if you read those Keller quotes once you get to like a 250, 300 church and beyond, uh, people that come through the door aren't expecting to have a direct line access to the leadership. And so decision policies are decided by a few, and the congregation at the lay level does the bulk of the ministry out of necessity. Um, and that is very, very disrupting to its original founders. So there's a loss there. There's a loss of communal intimacy. So, what number are we at now when you're talking about like 180? Well, like, okay, so th this is a very hard thing about Redeemer. Very, very hard. And, and where that rest piece comes in. We're not a Christmas and Easter church, but we're getting <coughs> close. And the reason why I say that is because before COVID, our Easter service was at 380. Very few of them were, were like, Visitors. It was all our people. They just all showed up on the same day, right? So to answer that question is really, really difficult. Uh, and you add COVID into that. So we had like 150 last Sunday. Prior to that, we, we had consistent days at like, for about a month and a half, about 130, 140. Before that, we, we were up around 160 before the variant became a thing. Um, I, I would bet today we have about 120 because of the race and the weather. But it's very hard to predict in a sustained fashion where we are at numerically, even though we have a lot of members. Because people, uh, people here, and we just need to, we need to own this, and I've been thinking through it since I got here, uh, Sunday morning worship isn't a super big priority for many. Okay. No one feels that more than me. I think people get this misconception that, like, I don't care about that. Like, I do, uh, but it, <laughs> I'm not going to let it make me angry. Does that make sense? And I don't feel like I've neglected speaking into that on the personal level or from the pulpit. Um, but what I want to do is, like, I want to figure out why is that the case? I, I don't want to say, like, you know, Get your, you know, <laughs> get your butt to church. Like, that's what Nebraskans want me to do. They want, like, a good whipping, you know, and say, you know, you better step to it. And I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I, I want to know, okay, well, why, why is 
this more compelling than worship? You know, whether it's a concert, youth sports, whatever, like, um, you're getting something here that you're not getting from worship. Is that your fault or is it the church's fault? Is it my fault? Because we've made worship so stale that you don't even want to come. Those are the questions I want to ask. And I think the church must ask for the future. Instead of just being all mopey and be like, why don't you come? You know, it's like, maybe it's on us. So how do you determine that? I'm trying to figure that out, Amy. <laughs> no, I, like, I think that the... Yeah, I think COVID, in many ways... Accelerated that up. Well, it, it, did, it did so many things. But all the things that we thought, the, the bad things that we thought were lurk, lurking underneath the surface within the evangelical church, well, they were there and are here. And so people, when they walk into church, they feel that. They feel the fragmentation. I certainly do. Um, who wants to be around that? But how, what's the cure? Reconciliation. Trust, again. Um, so I think some, some of those things that we felt in the water, but we didn't quite know were there, are on full display right now. And that's, again, we can be all mopey about that, or we can be like, this is a great opportunity we have to repent. All of us, we can change. We have the ability to change through Christ. Um, we have the access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. And so we, have, we cannot let uh, circumstances, circumstances and, and tension rob us of joy. Um, I refuse to let anything rob me of joy. And I was at Presbytery all day yesterday, and so <laughs> it takes the work of the Holy Spirit for me to say that. <laughs> Alright, we got one more minute to ask a question. To point blank answer your question, you can come talk to me. You have direct access right now. <laughs> um, but I cannot promise that for everybody. Um, I think one way was that you came to this class for the semester that we offered it. And so we have interaction, we have dialogue, and that like that helps. I think a lot a lot of times we don't take advantage of the things that the church actually is offering, and therefore uh, it feels like there's a loss of voice, um, which I'm kind of calling. I, I'm saying I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. You know?
Love because you first loved us We wanna love 